my name is Earl Gladden. I was born in 1974 and ultimately came to prison when I was 23. That was 25 years ago. My father raised me and my two brothers when my mother left us. She would die. She died when I was 15. But by then, my life was very different. My, my father, despite his best efforts to keep our family together, I was placed in foster care. And when that fell, I was moved to a private school. I had a learning disability, but I wasn't stupid. I am a great artist, and I can fix anything electronic or with an engine or a motor. I may have difficulty difficulties being educated in a classroom, but open up a radio and I can teach you how it works. When I was the school spit me out at eighteen I started spending more time on the streets of Waterbury and met up with the wrong people who introduced me into drugs. Drugs changed me into a very different young man. It led to a loss of family, crime, homelessness, and eventually murder. This is my story. Um, when I was young, my, my father did the best he could to raise me and my two brothers. I was the oldest, and DCF took us away from him because he was working jobs, and somebody had to be there to watch us. So he decided he wanted to have these women take care of us every day. And after a while, people started seeing these women come in and out of my father's house every day, different women every day. So that started raising questions with the neighbors. And the neighbors called DCF and the police and told them that my father was running a whorehouse. Um, then DCF intervened. They came and they took his kids away and they put us in foster care. And while I was in foster care, uh, I was going through a lot. It, it took a lot out of me to be pulled away from my father and the way I was living to be put in a foster home and try to cope with a different type of environment. So I started bailing. I started, started getting in trouble. I started not listening to the foster parent, just, just doing stuff that a teenager is really not supposed to do. Um, she couldn't take me anymore, so she told DCF worker I had to one of us had to go. So then I was placed in a, in a behavioral private school is where I stayed until the age of 18. After that, they put me in a, a program to 
get uh, used to the streets to be able to catch buses because I've been away so long from the streets being in a school that they wanted to teach me how to use a bus. It was just like learning how to walk all over again. I had to teach how to, bus, how to get a bus, how to get a job. And I felt like at the time, when I was 18, that this school wasn't for me, so I left. So I had to live with a friend of mine. And as I was living with him, he's had, a, you know, people over at the house. And then I got introduced to crack cocaine. And crack cocaine lived from one thing to another. And I had a son that I couldn't raise because I was too young. Uh, my childhood was just a mess. Uh, I didn't know which way I was going. Even though I was an adult, I felt like I was still a kid. And my father really, he was there for me, but he wasn't there to really teach me the father things. Um, with him not being there, that was, I, I just felt like a kid. It was just, I, I never grew up. I never, like, you know, got a chance to be like normal children, you know, go to school, play with your peers, have friends after school. I didn't get a chance to do any of that because of this uh, foster home. And my other two siblings, it was kind of hard to compete with them in this foster home. I got kicked out of school. I got kicked out of middle school because I was just out of control. I was supposed to graduate to high school. The year I was supposed to graduate to high school, I got expelled. And uh, I just had all kinds of stuff going on. And then I started skipping school. And it was a mess. And I thought hanging in the streets, running away, not being around my parents, that was a thing. But I wasn't doing that before when I was younger and I was with my father. Those things didn't even occur. But that takes effect on children when you pull them away from um, their families. I understand the circumstances and I understand uh, why they did what they did, but that causes trauma and it caused me trauma to get involved with the people I got involved with to get where I am right now, which is jail. Um, but my father overall did try to give me everything that he could give me when I was a child. He tried his best. He even blames himself for the way I am or the way I ended up. But that path that I went down when I was a child was just, I thought that was the thing to go as a kid. I didn't have really no um, anybody to look up to because I was the oldest. I didn't have like an older friend or older brother that would show me the, you know, the direction to go into. So it was really hard on me because I had to not only 
be the big brother, I had to show an example for a father to siblings, which I didn't. Because at the time they were young, they didn't understand what I was going through. And it affected me more than them. So, I ended up ultimately being separated from them for that many years. And it just took effect on me um, to get me where I am today. Um, yes, I'm, I'm, I was older and I had a had a choice to make and I made my own decisions. But I believe that really had a big part in my life. And now that I'm here in jail, I look back when I was younger and I ask myself, what can I change? What can I change? Is it, is it my father's fault? Is it my mother's fault? But for the most part, you know, Growing up and not having any friends as a kid, I didn't have that. I didn't have any friends, that, any friends I could say I I like or was around because I, I didn't get a chance to enjoy that. And when it was handed to me, I was more of a person that speaks to himself. I didn't know how to talk. My, my parents, when I was younger, my parents used to get mad because I was the type of kid that just wouldn't talk at all. They thought I was mute. I didn't talk too much. But then as time went on, uh, I started learning to open up as a kid. I had to grow up. I had to grow up. I had to be an adult when I was a kid, believe it or not. So just doing that was just like a balance of that. And uh, I don't know how I didn't get killed out there. I don't know. I don't have the slightest idea why uh, I ended up here and not dead in the street. But uh, the foster care uh, system and the, and the lady that was taking care of me, uh, she did what she could. She did. Everything she probably could, but there was a lot of shady stuff when I was a kid going on. Like, me and my two siblings would get, like, uh, hand-me-downs from her family, and we would have to, you know, work that out to where that, and in the meantime, her kids will get new, brand-new clothes. <laughs> so, I'm seeing all of this. And I can't explain it to my siblings because they don't understand. They were too young to understand what was really going on. So that kind of like pushed me into doing what I did. Not not the crime, but to be rebellious and, and running away and all that stuff. I wanted to just be like the other kids, but I unfortunately I couldn't. I wanted to have what they had. I wanted to be able to hang out and not have to come home when my mother said to come home. And it was just a bunch of stuff when I was younger um, that got me to where I was. It wasn't too much of 
rules and regulations. It was more of, I didn't feel like that was my place or some other person to tell me what to do besides my parents. So they, they, they put me in like these group therapies. They, they tried everything. And none of that worked. And the only thing that would have worked is if I was back with my family. Those of my family, I don't believe any of that childhood stuff would happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was one of the questions I was actually going to ask you. So you think like if none of that would have happened, you would have been like a whole different life? Yeah, yeah, because I was on my way. I was going to go in the military. Yeah, I would have had a whole different life. But with all of that going on and all of that, there's a lot of confusion for a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely understandable. So when that is bared on you and you gotta be the example for two younger siblings, there's a lot of there's you a lot of one pressure. minute left. Mm-hmm. That's a lot that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Very agreeable. Um how how much younger were they than you? One was 11, and one was 10, I believe. Okay. And there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that they didn't see and didn't understand mm-hmm. that I couldn't explain to them. So that's what led me to what I, I was doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, to go back, so how old were you? You said they were 10 or 11. How old were you at the time? I had to be at least, I want to say, 16. Okay, so um, with your dad, um, wh- what was the women? Like, were they just people he knew or just, like, people he was dating? Well, was, I remember that clearly. Those were women that he knew. Those were women that that would help him out, you know, and taking care of us. I knew them myself at that age. I knew who these women were, and I knew what they were about. Um, but my, my my siblings had no idea. They didn't know anything about that. Okay, so like just with the neighbors, you know, saying that, like they were just kind of being nosy, where it, like putting their nose where it shouldn't have been type thing? Right, okay. right. They were just nosy neighbors. Uh, watching these women come every day. It's a different one every day. It was some people that was in the neighborhood. He had to work. He had to take care of us three kids, so he couldn't just leave us behind in the house. Yeah, because... Even though I was the oldest, but we were too young to be left alone. How how old were you guys around this time? Was it when you were younger? I'm going I'm to say, uh, I don't even remember the, the age, to be honest with you. But just uh, young enough till you weren't able to really watch yourself and your siblings. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy though. Like I, when you said that, I was like, "What?" Like a man's literally trying to, you know, take care of his kids and you know uh-huh. work, and they're like, "Oh, he's got uh-huh. you know got running a whorehouse over there." But like you said, the women, you know, they helped her dad out, and it's like. Right. It could have just been they, they all had schedules different, and that was just days they could help. You know. You know, right, you can't help that. Right. But they, 
you know, I, I watched my father, I watched him putting him in the squad car. They took us to the hospital to get checked. Um, I mean, they brought us right to the hospital immediately. DCF, they took him to jail. All because of the neighbors. So our whole family got broken up because of some neighbors that really couldn't mind their business and didn't know what the heck was going on. All they had to do was ask. Yeah, did they not really investigate when they done? Because usually, I would I would have thought, you know, they would investigate, you know, uh, talk to the women, your dad, and be like, hey, what's going on? Which, like, so the neighbors would have gave the same nah, story. No, nah, back in those times, you know, it wasn't no thing like they got now. Back then, they took anything that anybody said, and they went and they just went and, and did what they had to do. Instead of asking questions and talking to the neighbors or, you know, they didn't even have a sure thing of really what was going on. They just seen these women coming in and going out. Uh, uh, they probably kind of thought maybe, you know, if he, he was running a whorehouse, maybe drugs or something involved. So they were just yeah, kind of throwing that up. Into all of that. But I, I understand where they were coming from. They were trying to look out for the safety of us, mm-hmm. you know. But back then, when you're a kid, you don't see it that way. Yeah, yeah, understandable. Yeah, uh, I know. We when we I spoke earlier, you said your mom had passed away when you were 15, right? Yes, I was 15. I was in uh, the boarding school at the time when she passed away. Um, is and... your... I'm sorry. Continue. No, you're good. Like, Go is is your dad still alive? Yes. As a matter of fact, I, I talked to him just the other day. Okay, okay. But yeah, go continue but with your mom's uh, situation. My mom, she she didn't want anything to do with her kids, period. That was the bottom line. And my father stepped up to the plate and took us and he says, I'm not going to allow you know them to just go anywhere, even though we ended up with DCF anyway. He took us in and provided us with everything that he could possibly give us. So I don't blame him for the way I came, the way I am now, or how everything turned out, because he did his part. And it was only because he was trying to, you know, take care of us. Mm-hmm. I get it. I understand it. Yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, it's crazy how, because um, my, uh, see, my brother and my sister-in-law, they were trying to adopt kids years ago. Like, they had the kids forever, and they thought they were going to adopt them. Well, it turned out they're like, oh, you know, you can't, somebody messed up in the system. And, right. like, it, like, they had them for four years, four or five years. Like, these kids are like two, three years old, you know, when they first got them. Uh-huh. Like, their dad right. still their dad still had rights to him, even though he tried to kill their older brother. So he was in prison. Wow. The mom wow. the mom didn't want nothing to do with him. Like she was like I think on drugs, just in and out of their life. Mm-hmm. Well, she ended up getting right. ba- she ended up getting them back. So I just find mm-hmm. like it's sad, you know, with when kids go through the system and like you said get moved around like that. And like with your situation, where you were saying, you know, the lady that took care of you, you know. You guys are getting hand me downs while the their kids are right. getting brand new stuff. Right. Like that's I can exactly. I see where you're coming from because you can see as a kid you start noticing like 
sometimes like with stepkids, stuff like that, or just any kids, if you're not uh-huh. the biological f- parent of uh-huh. them, they just treat them completely different. And then those kids, uh-huh. no matter their age, they yeah. they know uh-huh. what's going on. They're like, hey, why do they get new stuff and we're not getting nothing? Like, And they treat you different, and it really affects them mentally. Uh-huh. Sure. But she, the foster parent, also tried to get me to not like white people. Now, I had a neighbor that was white, and me and him were good friends, mm-hmm. and she hated it, huh. because she's from the South, Yeah, and I don't, I wasn't raised that way, I was raised to get along with anybody that gets along with me, mm-hmm. so she tried to convert me into the way she sees things, which I don't think, you know, it was a good thing, not for kids anyway, just for example, I wore a Dukes of Hazard shirt, not knowing what the flag meant, mm-hmm. you know, in her in her eyes. I wore it because I like the I like the show and I like the car, you know. As a kid, she cussed me out because I'm wearing a shirt that I didn't know anything about. I, I didn't know anything about no racist flags or anything like that. And that's what I mean about being an adult. Like I'm supposed to know this. I didn't know anything about that. Oh, yeah, like, kids are always, you know, it's, kids are more open-minded to things, and then the parents kind of put their thoughts and everything into the kids to make, because, like, kids don't see race until the parent right. put, until the parent puts it there, or any anything, really, honestly. Like, right. they're open-minded until the parent tells them otherwise. So basically, when you left, you became homeless after that, correct? Like, yeah, I was homeless. Nobody really knew that I was homeless in my family. I was too ashamed to share that information. I felt like that was something I have to deal with. And um, being homeless, you know, there's, there's a different degree of homeless. And uh, mine was more of yeah, I was living in the street, and uh, I started doing drugs and all this other stuff, and one thing led to another. That's what happens, you know, when you're homeless. You just you just gravitate to anything that's going on out there. Yeah, basically survival. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Yes, yes. And that's going to bring you into... Uh, the, the, the other thing I want to talk about later, but it was crazy. Um, I mean, I've had to. What is okay. it? I'm just. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, where you mentioned that you were surprised you didn't die on the street. Were there like any times where it was like close? Like, were you like 
I'm surprised I survived like the situation. Yeah. Listen, there was there was two guys that were looking for me because I owed them drug money. And they were in the building looking for me. Now, the only place I can hide was on the roof. So imagine if catching me up on the roof, what was going to happen? Yeah, so you're I'm bit, looking yeah. down, and I see the guys on the sidewalk walking around looking for me, going in and out of the apartment. And they, I'm lucky that they didn't go decide to go to the roof because they went everywhere I could possibly go, and they couldn't find me. So, yeah, I, I've been in some crazy situations. Yeah. I came close to dying quite a few times. I've been in that situation. And I'm surprised I made it. I mean, if it wasn't for jail, I probably would have been dead. There's no lie. There's no doubt about that. And this would have been between the ages of like 18 to, what, 22, 23? Yes. So pretty much uh, still a child, young adult. You're right. But when you have no direction... You might as well just say you're a child. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. You, know, you, you don't really know how to be a man. You're a man, but you really don't have that direction mm-hmm. on how to be a man and how to deal with certain situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never got taught, you know, how to use a checkbook, how to balance a bank account, uh, get my driver's license. I never had a driver's license. I still, I never had a driver's license ever. I've driven cars, but I've never had no, I haven't had that, 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 that's what I was talking about, that thing where your father, your father's supposed to show you all of that. Mm-hmm. It's not his fault, but it's just, those are the type of things that should have been going on in my life that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, uh, share this information with these with these people. Uh, I want the people to know out there if uh, anyone would like to get in touch with me, they can find me on Facebook. But if you want to contact me directly in the prison, go to securistech.net and sign up for messaging, which is like email. I have a tablet in my cell, and I can't respond every day. My name is Earl Gladding, and my inmate number is 234-652. And you can also write me a letter at McDougal CI, 1153 East Street South, Southfield, Connecticut, 06080. If you want, I can even call you. Thank you. Um, one thing I want to ask, though, with your um, address, do you write overseas or are willing yes. to? Okay. Yes, I, I get international envelopes or whatever it takes for me to write. I, I can do that. Okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure because I know we have, like, listeners and stuff overseas. So if any of them want to okay. reach out to you. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what the no price problem. range is on that compared. So that's why I always ask to make sure. Mm-hmm. Just let me know, like you said, when this is, you know, going to go out there so I can tell my family. Okay, that was our uh, interview with uh, convicted murderer Errol Gladdings. Like I said, if you would like to reach out to him, uh, do so. And, like, that's why I figured I'd ask him overseas since we have overseas listeners. Um, 
trying to think next week we will be covering we're going to do this like the uh with joseph rizzo uh joseph is actually his uh, cellmate that's how you know we had he had talked to earl about doing the interview with us so we've been in the works with this but if you'd like to like i said reach out to earl do so um if you need uh his address like if you didn't get it all written down just let us know and we can help you out on that um but next week, like I said, we're going to do like what we did with Joseph. This was like his childhood leading up. So the next episode will be about his crime. And we'll dive a little bit into that. And then the next part, which will be the third parter, will be, you know, trial. Well, not the trial, but second will be the trial and like all that, like the crime trial, going to prison. And then the third part will be prison life because he had been like he said in the beginning you know he's been in prison for 25 years so he has a lot of stories so you'll be hearing about that so be very interested to well interesting to hear you know what he has to say because there's uh not a lot of stuff you'll find on him uh, if you look him up so i'm glad to hear a story you know it's really sad you know to see you know what all happened and like me and him talking earlier, like, I just found it crazy, you know, his dad's literally doing all he can, and, you know, people's helping him, which, like he said, you know, the neighbors were looking out for the kids, you know, but they should have asked, or, you know, it's crazy that they didn't investigate, I found that crazy, <laughs> but uh, I thank you all for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next one.